Hello, friends, and welcome to HC Weekly. This is a podcast proclaiming the love of God on display through Jesus Christ. We're so glad you're with us, and I need to tell you, we've been expecting you. We encourage you to tune in for an important announcement at the end. And now it's time for today's message. We hope you enjoy. I want to talk to you about how things have truly changed. Things have truly changed. Are you going to preach, James? <laughs> He's a prophet. He's a prophet. He's Jeremiah. Jeremiah's come back. No. <laughs> Things continue to change around here as they should. Now, some of the people who use this facility when it was a Methodist church were actually offended at the changes way back in the 90s, the initial ones that we made. But it didn't work for the way we needed to use it, so it had to be changed. It had to be changed. See, there's a saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Now, that saying is not synonymous with monotony. Monotony is a lack of variety and interest, tedious repetition and routine. And it is to be bound to tradition out of duty, without joy, and likely rooted in a fear of loss if not followed. Monotony. Monotony. One day, Jesus was asked an important question. A question that was framed by comparisons with John the Baptist's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees. And it had to do with fasting. But more than that, it seemed to deal with traditional routine thinking on the part of those who were asking the question. Now, Jesus responded by explaining that his disciples didn't need to fast while he, the bridegroom, was still with them. But that would change once he was gone. But then he went on to say the following. If you have your Bible, you can go there. I'll put it up on the screen as well in Luke 5.36. He spoke a parable to them. And he said, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. So you've got this unmatched situation. But not only that, if you know anything about fabric, uh, you would know that if you put stronger, newer, uh, sturdier fabric to old worn out fabric, guess what's going to happen? The old worn out fabric is going to tear even more. Because it can't uphold, it, can't, it doesn't have the same strength as what you put in new. Jesus is already setting the stage for something new that is stronger and better. He's not coming to attach the new covenant to the old covenant. Something old and worn out will only tear more if you connect something new and stronger to it. It's a recipe for failure. Jesus also used old versus new in the wineskin metaphor to make his point clear. See, under the new covenant, the wine of the Spirit would not be wasted because it would be poured into new wineskins, which are new creations. See, you were created to contain the new wine of the Spirit and live in a new covenant of the Spirit. That's a new wineskin. Now, I get it that... For years, we've heard about things like paradigm shifts and new wineskins being applied to doing things differently in the church. That is not the point Jesus was making. 
The point Jesus was making is he was going to make a new creation, a new wineskin to house the wine of the Spirit. That's what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about you and I. He's talking about his disciples. He's not talking about, let's pull this out and use it if we want to get people to agree with us that we need to do things completely different as a church. That's not what he's talking about. So it's important to know that. When you come to faith in Christ, see, you're not the same person any longer. Everything changes. Everything's brand new for you. In fact, look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through uh, 21 with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What has he given to you? A ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, then... We are ambassadors for Christ as though God is pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's our message to this world, to this age. Be reconciled to God. And then we wait for them to say, how? And then we say, only through faith in Jesus Christ can you see this happen. It is not complicated. It is super simple. And it's simple so that That supernatural transaction of being born again is between God and the individual with faith. It is not because of our eloquence. It is not because we can say it perfectly. It is not because we can say it with a certain measure of passion. It is not because we can say it with a smile on our face or with the absence of a smile. It has nothing to do with us at all. It is the message of reconciliation. The message of salvation In that gospel message is the power of God to save. The power of God is not in you and I to save. The power of God is in the message we preach to save. That's the power of God. Important for us to know that. So here we are. We're ambassadors for Christ. He's pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. And in verse 21, look at this carefully. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's the message. The other part of that message is, hey, while I was a sinner, while all of us were sinners, Christ loved us and gave Himself for us. You are not so far gone, you cannot be saved. Message of hope. Message of hope and reconciliation. Things have truly changed. You're a new creation. You're a new wineskin included in the new wineskin of the new covenant. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. There wasn't, that wasn't possible for you under the old covenant. The Old Covenant could not do this. There is nothing in the Old Covenant anywhere 
that even testifies remotely to the idea that under the law of Moses, anybody could be made brand new. You could be brought in under the law and submit yourself to it and to all of the systems that it, that it implements to deal with the issues of your sin. But you could not become a brand new species. Now, if you don't get this, the enemy will try to convince you to be a disciple of Jesus based on an old covenant wineskin. That's what he'll do. He'll get you to look through the lenses of your own performance for your security. Your own performance for your validation or invalidation. See, the old covenant wineskin of visitation isn't equal to the new covenant wineskin of habitation. The old covenant wineskin of visitation is not equal. It is inferior to the new covenant wineskin of habitation. But you have people that are living like they need visitation as opposed to habitation. And that is old covenant thinking. Now, the old covenant was a covenant between God and the people of Israel. Under the old covenant, the people of Israel had to keep their end of things or else be cursed. If you want to live under the old covenant, you get the curses that come with it. And I do mean you get the curses because you're not going to keep it. So just expect to be cursed. Straight away, if you want to live under the law of Moses, then expect to be cursed because you're not going to keep it. And there is not a sacrificial system in place for you. There is one sacrifice for all time, for all people, forever, and it's Jesus alone. And he's not doing things by means of the old covenant anymore. He said to his disciples at that last supper, this is the cup of my blood. Of the new covenant. When you come to the blood of Jesus, you come to the new covenant. He didn't say, this is, my, this is the cup of my blood that will bring together the old and new covenant. He didn't say that. He said, this is the cup of my blood of the new covenant. You have to keep your end or be cursed if you're under the old covenant. See, the people rejected the Abrahamic covenant of faith that would have made them a kingdom of priests unto God. The Bible tells us this. Instead, in their foolishness, they asked Moses to be a mediator. And then they said, get this, find out what God wants and we'll do it. Now, if that's not the height of arrogance, I don't know what is. If you even think that if you knew what God wanted, broad scope of your life to be righteous, that you could do it, you are the most prideful person. See, if you truly understood the law, you would know to respect it and know that it wasn't written so that you could prove you're able to do it. It was written to prove you can't. 
and turn you to look to Jesus. That's the point. The law is not a script for life. The law is a script to point you to where to find life. The law is the ministry of death. In the resolve of their own will and natural strength, Israel could not be perfect in righteousness. Boredom set in before Moses even came down the mountain. And they had made an idol and were ready to go back to Egypt into captivity again. And at the Pentecost for the law being given, 3,000 people died because they had already violated it. 3,000. Hold that number in your mind. The Old Covenant could not make them right with God permanently. It could not forever remove their sin. In Hebrews 7, 28, it says this. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath. And his son has been made the perfect high priest Forever. Jesus never need be replaced. More than that, it says in Hebrews 10, 14, For by that one offering, He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. What has He done for you? He has forever made you perfect. You need to say that. You need to hear yourself say that. He has forever made me perfect. See, if you're struggling to say that, you've got too much veil over your mind and your heart because you're too deep in the old covenant still. Get your foot out of the tar pit. Shake it off and step into the light. You need to be able to say with all confidence, He has forever made me perfect. You need to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Today and always. Why? Because he says that is the truth concerning you. If he says that's who you are, that's who you are. That's who you are. Now that changes a lot of things. Because when you become convinced of these things, prayer comes easy. It's not how you schedule it. It's how you live in it. You live in it. Remember how Paul said praying continually. Without ceasing. When you're in a living relationship with the living God... Based on His righteousness, you can live that out in your daily walk. It is not far-fetched. But see, when you're in Old Covenant, everything has to get scheduled. 
And if it doesn't stay within the schedule, let an emergency pop up and interrupt your schedule and your prayer life just died. I've seen this so many times. Well, I've committed to 7 to 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and then you get scheduled for something earlier that you have to be at. So you can't do your 7 or 8. So that prayer went out that window today. Then the next day, something happens that interrupted your prayer. And before you know it, you're not able to pray anymore. And now you think you're backslidden. Because you haven't kept your one hour from 7 to 8 a.m. Because you have not learned how to walk with God in an attitude of prayer. Because prayer is really relationship communication. I have a relationship with Sheila all throughout the day. If, If it's only when we could schedule a date night then what kind of relationship do we really even have? You see what I'm saying? God has so perfectly done something here that makes it so possible for you and I to be in relationship with him. It is mind-boggling. He has simplified this thing. Now, that's not to say don't commit some time to prayer. Undistracted times of prayer can be beautiful and wonderful. Just don't think that if you blow it, you're backslidden. Are you hearing me? I want to free you up here this morning. See, things have truly changed. The old covenant was limited. The new covenant is not limited like the old covenant was. The old covenant was not designed for the nations, for instance. The new covenant is. It was designed for one nation only, the old covenant. It was one nation, one nation alone, Israel. End of story. The old covenant was not designed for new creations. It could not produce them. Only the new covenant contains the promise of forever making perfect those who come to God through Christ in faith. That is the only covenant with that kind of power. Why would anybody want a different covenant? Now, what if there's actually seven covenants in the Bible? What if Abraham had come along and said, you know, Lord, I just want to just remain under the Noah covenant. I'm just good with Noah's covenant. End of story. That covenant's good enough for me. I'm fine with that. You promised not to destroy the world. I feel peaceful. I'm good with that. Think about that. It was a covenant. Nobody thinks it's strange that Abraham embraced a brand new kind of covenant with God. Nobody thinks that's strange. Why doesn't somebody say, I dare you, Abraham, to insult the covenant with Noah by wanting another covenant? We don't think a thing about that. We don't think a thing about the other covenants that got replaced along the way. But when it comes to this old covenant idea, see, everybody wants to be Judeo-Christian. I'm not Judeo-Christian. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. End of story. I don't have to become Jewish to be a believer. I'm not anti-Semitic. I love my Jewish brothers and sisters. 
But there is no spirituality to be gained by becoming Jewish. It cannot supersede what God has so dynamically and powerfully done in the new covenant. And people are sadly mistaken, of, especially now it's a broad movement, but they're sadly mistaken that if you do certain things that the Jewish people did, it will heighten your spiritual alertness. That it will heighten your awareness of God. That's sort of like, how is that any different from the people that are out there whacked out and said, I smoke pot as a believer because it makes me more perceptive to the Spirit. I drank just a little more than I probably should because it gets me a little more in touch with my feelings. Why can we discern the, the silliness of those things and not discern the silliness of the idea that if you were to become more Jewish, you would be deeper with God? That if you were to be able to come under the law and abide by it more faithfully, you would go deeper with God. Why isn't that silly to us? The old covenant was mediated by Moses. It was a covenant between God and Israel. The new covenant was mediated by the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. It is a covenant between God and His Son and includes whoever will believe in Him, but it doesn't rely on them. The old covenant relied on the faithfulness of men, which wasn't to be found. The new covenant relied on the faithfulness of the Son of God, which is fixed and established forever. I want you to look at Hebrews 12 with me, verses 18 through 24. It says in there that you have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command that even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death or thrust through with a dart, some translations would say. Moses himself, the mediator, Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have come to Mount Zion. That's, you didn't go to that mountain. You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a, what kind of gathering? Joyful, joyful gathering. Hard to be terrified in a joyful gathering, wouldn't you say? You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have been made perfect. 
You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. That's what you've come to. Things have truly changed. He didn't bring you to Mount Zion. You know, that special place that's a blend of Sinai and Zionai, Zion. Zion. So think about that. That's how most people are, are thinking and doing their life. They're doing their life like they were brought to Mount Zionai, this brand new mountain that is a, a, a wed, it, it wedded together the old covenant and the new. And that's the only reason it's a better covenant. It, it was kind of like add-ons. Like sometimes when I get a vehicle, my wife, will, she'll say, I, let me guess, you just got it, you had it one day, you're going to pimp it out, aren't you? What that means is you're going to accessorize your, your vehicle. That means the stereo's got to be right. You know, there are just certain things that I want that make me comfortable in my car. And so, so she, she calls it pimping it out. But, uh, but, but that's accessorizing. But in the New Covenant, there's no accessories. There's not a shop you can go to for accessories to the New Covenant. There's not. I dare you to find it. You won't find one scripture in all of the New Testament that says, now, if you're unhappy with what I've done through the Son, just do this. Just go here and do that. That's not in here. This is where it's God's way and not our way. This is where God's wisdom is higher than our wisdom. God in His wisdom and in His way said, there is now a new covenant, and that's how I am relating to you. It's through the means of that new covenant that was made intact, authorized, authenticated by the blood of the only one who has ever pleased me entirely in the human race, and that is my son. And only through being hidden in him can you enjoy the benefits that the new covenant offers you. Now, the new covenant is not strangely different in many ways from the Abrahamic covenant. And in the Abrahamic covenant, we discover Abraham was a blessed man. I mean, a blessed man. Abraham had health way into his latter years. Abraham had wealth. even though, I mean, Abraham was victorious in battle. Abraham, I mean, think about it. He had favor wherever he went. That was Abraham's life. Why was that the case? Because Abraham was a man of grace through faith. You see, what most people don't understand is when you go under that old covenant line of thinking, you think you've got to perform for people too. You've got to do certain things to get people to like you. You've got to do certain things. No, I don't need everybody to like me. I need the ones that God has chosen should like me in this life to like me. Because we're going to be able to partner together and see some incredible things for the kingdom of God. But if that's not the case, all they're going to do is try to do me harm. Well, why would you want that, right? 
You need to understand that the blood of Jesus is not pleading with God to be avenged. It is pleading for forgiveness. It is not crying out to God to make sure you pay for what you did wrong. It's asking him to forgive you for the wrong you have, are, you have, you are, and you will do. In other words, your sin past, present, and future have already been paid for. But don't think that means you can do as you please according to your flesh. That would be a serious mistake. It's not unforgivable, mind you, but grievous to the spirit dwelling within you and serious in terms of natural consequences. What I mean by that? Well, if you want to try to drink yourself under the table for a large segment of your life, you're probably going to have to fight what everybody else that does that fights, and that's called liver disease. Your liver wasn't made to hold up under that kind of abuse. You know, if you're going to get addicted to crystal meth to feel good for a moment, you're probably going to lose all your teeth. And you're probably going to become emaciated in your appearance. And if you're going to turn to marijuana to find your peace, you're going to overeat more than likely. And then not only that, you're going to find it difficult to find motivation in the important areas that matter most in your life. So your aspirations will falter. There's a consequence. If you're going to engage in sex outside of marriage when you're young, you're going to deal with the fact that you're likely to get pregnant, even if you try to use protection. And somebody's got to be responsible for that child. If you, if you go down the trek of perversions, then you may end up with disease. There are consequences. If you live your life lying to get ahead, telling lies, eventually there'll be enough people figure you out that you will lose the trust that you once had, and some of the avenues for your success will be cut off. Now, this is not old covenant thinking. This is just being practical. It's just merely being practical. Now, if you're a meaner, if you're one of those old guys that, get, hey, kids, get off my yard, you know, you're just hateful to everybody. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're not going to have a whole bunch of people lining up at your front door to help you in your time of need. There's a consequence in the natural that happens even though we are supposed to be a people of grace. If you max out what you can earn, and inflation's going up, everything's going up, and if you max yourself out and all that stuff goes up, you're not going to have the same buying power as you once had at the grocery store, at other places. And you're going to find yourself struggling. Is God punishing you? No. No. Your own handling of your own affairs without seeking out his wisdom has brought a consequence. Because God and his wisdom are, you know, God can see you tomorrow. Better than you or I can ever see it. And better than all of the predictors can do. God sees it all from the start to the finish. 
It is not wise to not seek the counsel of God in this life. Even under a new covenant perspective, it is highly unwise to go without asking God for his counsel. You know, even under the old covenant, David, as a picture of a man of grace in the old covenant, he would say, Lord, shall we go up to battle? Would we be victorious if we did that? And the Lord would answer him, go up. And he would say, Lord, if we're not supposed to go up, I'm not going up. That's why David was victorious. David didn't take on a battle that the Lord didn't tell him he could win. And, you know, even today, we shouldn't be saying, I'm going to go over here and buy and sell and do such and such and this and that and the other thing. What we should be saying is if the Lord wills, I will do such and such. What does that show? Dependence, reliance in relationship to the wisdom of God. That's what the new covenant has paved the way for. You don't have to do life by yourself anymore. You don't have to rely on the limited faculties that you possess as a human being. You have the infinite resources of the highest wisdom that has ever been and ever will be at your disposal. It's there for the taking. Let him who lacks wisdom, what? Ask of God. But don't let him ask, wavering, what will produce the wavering? Two covenants will. So don't think you can do as you please according to your flesh. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20. Run. This is new covenant, guys. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. You put yourself into a conflict situation when you reject going to God for his wisdom on how to live life, on how to make your decisions. When you leave off seeking the wisdom and the will of God in your life and you start doing things as if you have what it takes now to make all your decisions, then you get yourself into trouble and it puts you into a conflict, a crisis. What is the crisis? Is God mad at me? Is God upset with me? Is God now against me? Did I violate? Now you're going back under the old covenant way of thought. And you're not thinking relationally. You know, if you came up here right now and you slapped me and I did the thing Jesus said and I turned to you to my other's cheek and you slap it, you and I are now going to have some distance. There's going to be some distance between you and me. Why? You're just proving yourself not very safe. I didn't. I did what I was expected to do. I gave you the opportunity to, after that first slap, think about what you just did, and decide enough is enough. We're done. But you took the second one, and when you took the second one, wisdom of God kicked in the gear. There, there's no favor with this one. 
This one's out of step with me right now. You need to back off of this. You need to let alone. Let well enough alone. So there would be distance. And so when you do these things in the natural, according to your own will, you're, you can't help but process the idea that you've, you've slapped God in the face with what you've done. Maybe you slapped him more than once. And now you can't help but perceive maybe there's some kind of distance. But it isn't, God didn't withdraw himself. You started withdrawing yourself because it's dawned on you, you shouldn't be slapping God. What are you going to do about that? Simple. All repent is is change your mind and determine in that moment he's better, he's wiser, he's, I can't treat him that way. I shouldn't treat him that way, especially after all the goodness he's shown me and the love he's given me. I should be tuning my ear to him, inclining my heart to him. I need to find out what he thinks and then submit myself to that. That's true for everything. I I sought God's will about any job I ever took. I sought God's will about what cars to buy. I sought God's will about what house to live in. We're to raise our kids. I sought God's will. She and I will seek the will of God for every kind of decision that's involved. You know, if we're going to revive our home, we seek the will of God. Is this what we're supposed to do at this particular time? Is it advantageous for us moving into the future? Things of that nature. All of these things are important. God will help you make sound financial decisions, sound parental decisions, sound business decisions, sound, come on. Sound neighbor relation decisions, all kinds of stuff. God will help you with it. He will be happy to assist you. Marital decisions, all these things. God will come to your aid. But for it to matter, you got to be committed to the idea that He knows best. And whatever it sounds like He's saying you want to do, you're going to commit to it. You're going to commit to it. So when you meet that person that goes, wow, this is my soulmate. Doesn't mean it's your bedmate. It means it's time to ask God, God, what do you say about this relationship? Well, if they're not a believer, I can tell you right now what he says. No. How can I say it? Well, it says so in the Scripture. Why should an unbeliever and a believer be yoked together? It's an unequal yoke. So don't let yourself get caught up and infatuated with somebody who's not in Christ. It's a recipe for disaster. And you'll end up hurt. And we don't want you to be hurt. And God doesn't want you to be unnecessarily hurt either. And you can avoid a lot of that by seeking His will and His counsel. Things have changed, folks. You now have this wide-open relationship with the living God. And it isn't based on you. It's based on Jesus. If you get your covenants right, even when you've blown it, and you have not sought out His will and His counsel, and you're in the midst of a consequence, you can still be back on track just like that. It is not a problem. 
to get right back in, it, in the game. It's not a problem. We are surrendered to God by a trust made firm in His love. We are new wineskins. We have the Holy Spirit. We are a habitation of the Spirit. And now in right relationship with God, we're being led by the Spirit. And this is the new covenant reality. The old covenant couldn't produce this. It's what Jesus shed His blood for. To bring many sons into glory to the Father. Notice when he talks about it, it's always to the Father. Not to God the judge, to the Father. God wants to be your Father. Jesus wants you to relate to God as your Father. That's how he wants you to do it. And that's what he went to the cross for. You see, that's why we can understand things have truly changed. They've truly changed. Now you've got to ask yourself, has my thinking changed? To be in step with what Scripture says truly changed. Has my thinking changed? To be in step with what Scripture says has truly changed. What Scripture reveals the new covenant to be, am I there? Am I thinking, if you want to go deeper, think more new covenant. Think more new covenant. Think more New Covenant. Jesus went about his day listening to the Father, speaking what he heard, seeing what the Father was up to, and then engaging with the Father in it. And that's how the outflow of his ministry took place. He was in step with the Father in relationship through the work of the Holy Spirit. He's provided this for us this is our heritage as believers in jesus christ it is your new covenant heritage are you ready to pray father we thank you that you have so provided you have so supplied you have so graciously committed yourself to the plan you put in place in eternity past you didn't wait to see how things were happening in the human experience. You had all this set up before the human experience even took place. Your word says that. That even before the world was created, this plan was in place. This was your purpose and your plan all along. Lord, we just thank you that in your wisdom and in your, your understanding of everything, Lord, you, there's nothing higher there's nothing greater. You've taken care of everything by that very wisdom. You've given us all things in your Son, Father, your Son, Jesus. All things that pertain to life and godliness are ours in Him. You have withheld no good thing from us. Nothing, Lord. Old covenant would have said, Father, that if we love you, new covenant says you just, you've generously given us all that we need in Jesus. Oh, how things have changed, Father. And Father, I pray that through the work of your Spirit, the Holy Spirit, revelation would erupt in hearts and minds of hearing this message. Understanding would flood the soul and your peace and your joy and your righteousness, which is the kingdom 
would be realized in the life of everyone. Oh, that we would walk in the boldness and the courage this produces. Your servant Paul, Father, said, because of this new covenant we've been brought into, this understanding of the gospel, we are very bold. Lord, may we be a people who are very bold. In Jesus' name. And Father, if there's anybody who's been struggling and they've been blowing it, Lord, there's no shame, there's no condemnation, there's just a simple invitation. Just change your mind and say, I will come to the wisdom of God and I will seek his counsel and I will relate to him the way he's prescribed. Just that simple. And Father, if there's anyone here, they've never truly come to know you. Had that supernatural born-again experience that is very real uh, when we come to Jesus. Lord, may you convict them by the power of the Holy Spirit. That the only way that that sin nature can ever be done away with is through a true trust in Christ Jesus and new life coming as a result of that. And Father, we commit these things to you. We believe that you're good and you hear us. And we thank you for responding in Jesus' name. What a great encouragement from the Lord. Hello again. We want to invite you to subscribe to this ministry. We would love to hear from you. Contact us at our website, www.harvestchurchknoxville.com. Click on the Connect button and leave us a message. We'll respond to you just as soon as we can. You can also interact with us on Facebook at Harvest Church. Our request is that you pray for us and also pray about financially supporting this ministry so it can continue to go out. No gift is too small. If you have a local church, please don't neglect it in your giving whenever giving to this ministry. There's three easy ways to give and all our giving options are secure. Your first option is at our website, again, www.harvestchurchknoxville.com. Click on the Give button and follow the steps. Your second option is via text. Send a text to 865-366-4993 with the amount that you wish to give in the message section. Your third option is via snail mail. Send it to Harvest Church, 6720 Kern Road, that's K-E-R-N, Knoxville, Tennessee, 37918. If you are in the Knoxville, Tennessee area and you don't have a church home, we invite you to come and be with us. We'd love to see you. Again, thank you for listening. Our prayer for you is that you grow in your knowledge of Christ Jesus and experience great increase of grace and peace. Remember, Jesus really loves you.